From Calvary Church of Santa Ana, this is the Calvary Life Podcast, the show where we share stories, laugh together, and have discussions about faith, life, and God with people from Calvary Church. Here's your host, Eric Wakeling. All right, welcome to the Calvary Life Podcast. I'm Eric Wakeling, excited to be here with Matt Doan. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, and I believe this is the first time that we've ever had a married couple on the Calvary Life Podcast. Is that true? It absolutely is, and I'm terrified. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm very excited. We've got Curtis and Karen Yates with us. Say hi, guys. How you doing? Hi, guys. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Humor already. Hello. <laughs> All right. It is great to have you. Uh, we are just excited to learn a lot from you about, you know, you as being members of our church here at Calvary and in the work that you do and how you do it together. But um, would you just kind of first start off with telling us a little bit of, so how'd you meet? How did the two of you come how together? How did Karen and Curtis become a thing? Well, we met in a job interview. Oh, that's true. That oh. is how we first met. Yeah. Really? So what was that? Well, I had recently been elected student body vice president at Westmont. Ooh, boo. Oh, sorry. That just came out. Westmont <laughs> Warriors. Uh, anyway, and my buddy who was president and I were interviewing people to be on the rest of the staff, the student government staff, and Karen was one of the applicants. And she walked into the uh, what used to be called the study at Westmont and uh, for her appointed hour and she sat down and she completely blew us away wow by the time the interview was over she walked out and we looked at each other and said if we have to create a position for her we will wow or a spouse if we have to yeah <laughs> no were you one year behind so i know? was yeah okay. so that was i was is the end of my sophomore year that I interviewed, and it was the end of his junior year. We're so wait, one wait. year apart. So we've been friends a long time, but I've never heard this part. You had never met before that moment. Three years on the same, two right. years on the same campus. Yeah, aren't there yeah. like twelve people at Westmont or something? No, she was like the <laughs> right? one person. Well, so I had actually seen her for the first okay. time the week before, I think it yeah. was, at Potter's Clay, which is like the annual trip down to Mexico to Ensenada mission trip thing over spring break. And the first night we were there, everybody everybody shows up at this one church for like a big worship service, and the Westmont like music team is up on stage leading worship, and Karen's up there playing guitar, and I had no idea who she was, and I I think I might even ask somebody like who is that? It's like, <laughs> awesome. And I'm like I've never seen her before, and uh, I assume she must be a senior that I hadn't seen in three years, and uh, yeah, I find out the very next week who she is. Okay, so after the interview, when do you get a end up getting a phone call or a request for digits as we did back in the day? <laughs> well, no. So um, we that summer there was a couple like correspondence back and forth that summer, getting ready for the the staffing and stuff happening the next year. My position, I was on the activities council, so I helped plan events for the school. And um, he was my boss, and he's still my boss. Actually, oh, we're gonna trust me. We'll talk yeah. about. We'll, we're going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, we corresponded a little bit over the summer, and then you show up. I was also an RA my junior year, so I was an RA, and I was working for the student government. And um, we had some interactions. Actually, at the beginning, we sort of didn't totally get along. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, we, we, I was trying to make things fun. It's about planning events for the school. That's opposite and of Curtis. <laughs> and, you know, Curtis was in charge. Like, he, he was responsible. Big picture. And big yeah. picture. Yeah. yeah. And he's very strategic. And we got stuff to get done here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was a little chatty. He had to talk to me about that. Um, and I wasn't always on time. So we actually had um, our breakthrough was we were invited to a luau. And we got into a fight at the luau. Ironically, we were, we were playing Red Rover, Red Rover. You know, like Listen. college kids do all the yeah. time. Probably doing it on campuses all across America right this moment. Right, right. Yep. This is Small Christian schools. Yes, there you go. We're a little weird. <laughs> and we got into like an actual fight. We, there's a picture of it um, where we were like, he, I was yanking his hair and I don't know what wow. was happening. I think he was trying to break through my arm and I didn't like it. And, was this um, a little bit of that? Sorry to interrupt, but is this a little bit of that? Kind of, we're fighting, but I like you, you know? No. Is it, no? Okay, uh -uh. no. No, I don't think, I think he, we thought each other was cute, but I don't think yeah. we were. And anyway, he, <laughs> afterwards, we went back to Westmont and he stopped by my room and said, like, I want to make sure, like, we work together. I want to make sure everything is okay. And so we stayed up really late talking until like three in the morning. And afterwards, mm. I was like, actually, I had really 
misunderstood this person. He's pretty remarkable. Wow. And so we had, we, conversation was super easy and yeah, that was kind of the beginning. And then he kept coming around and knocking on my window and we'd go for walks around the campus. And because we worked on staff, we saw each other a ton. Um, and so that's kind of the beginning of our friendship. And we were friends until December that his senior year, my junior year is when he was like, I like you. I want to be more than friends. Nice. That's pretty exciting. And then your kids may be listening to this. So can you give a little shout out to your kids and tell us their ages? Hey, Zach, how are (laughs) (laughs) you? Zach is a junior at Foothill. He is about to turn 16, probably by the time this thing shows up on the airwaves. Mm -hmm. And uh, Reagan's a freshman. She's 14. And Daniel's 11. He's in sixth grade. Awesome. Awesome. So, okay, so then... What's your what's your guys' Calvary origin story? I think they're different, obviously, for for both of you. But um, I think for Kurt, it, maybe we should start with you, right? Because <laughs> it's a little earlier. Yeah, I think it was 1976. Born uh, in the nursery? No. Uh, just yeah. Kidding. Well, no. They used to have a picture of me up in the nursery before the nursery got moved to the basement. Yeah. Was, like over here in the A building, there was a thing, class of '76, and black and white pictures of a dozen wow. kids or so, and I was one of them. Yeah, my parents came here from. Every Free Orange, I believe it was, and about 76. Okay. I was like less than two years old. Seely and Susan and Yates. Yeah. Yeah, for those who don't know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, of Yates. That Yates family. There yeah. are a lot of and Yates. They're, there's a, they're connected to a lot, too. The Nortons and the Vanderwolf, the That's whole right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very tangled web. <laughs> we could take up the rest of the hour just yeah, to really. yeah, explain exactly. that family tree. You are a bit of kind of maybe taking over on some of the other sort of establishment families of Calvary. I think you guys are starting to like maybe well, that is our goal. grow we a mean. bigger web <laughs> <laughs> of dominance. All right, so grew up anyway, here. Anyway, I grew up here uh, from infancy, and uh, we were here... Uh, well, we were here when we got married, um, or when we got at least when we met and when we were engaged, we were attending here. And then it was uh, probably right before we got married or right after that Karen, who actually, when the first time I brought her here on a Sunday morning, this is kind of a cool story. Uh, she was like, we were visiting down here on a weekend during college, and uh, she's sitting out in the pews with my family, and there's this new worship pastor on stage being introduced named Ron Rogalski and Karen's like he was my piano teacher growing up he was my voice teacher like yes so the service ends and she bolts for the stage and gives Ron a big hug and he's like what are you doing here uh-huh. yeah, and very, that was really like cool. Ron's it Ron, wasn't that Ron's first I Sunday, think it I was think? his first maybe it was his, it was it, he was super new I mean your parents were say we just got this new worship pastor yeah. Rogal, Rogal, Rogalski <laughs> I'm like what I know him yeah, yeah that's probably a touch of home for you like as you're yeah. in this new place kind of trying to make yourself and then you've got this familiarity totally yeah and at first you know I was I was coming into this church that knew all the Yates family and just feeling like where's how, how, where's going to be my place does anyone know me or my mm-hmm. family or my growing up and also it's Calvary's big and it was a little intimidating and mm-hmm. to see Ron was immediately like oh little little piece of home someone who knows my mom and dad yeah you that's know? cool that's I used really to cool. babysit his daughters actually oh wow that's and tell everybody where you're from uh, I grew up in the Sacramento area mm-hmm. yes so we spent a short season like church shopping for our church yeah. and tried local churches for a while and it came up wanting. And at the same time, there was a new young marriage class starting at Calvary huh. that we heard about. And so we came back and thought we'd give that a try mm-hmm. with the Jim and Rebecca Wallace and Mike and Susie Roth were leading it. And uh, we were in there with the Krasheviches yeah. and the Jenkins and... The Tweeties. Tweeties and the I remember being jealous of that class because I had to go do my job and, you know, yeah, other yeah, things. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want to hang out with those people. Yeah. That looks yeah. fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot that's of people great. we're still friends with now. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's get into a little bit of this whole thing with your jobs. Now, you work at the same place. We should probably go to to your dad, Seely, right, establishing this whole thing. T- tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So... Uh, we work for the family firms called Yates and Yates, and I like to tell people that um, while although I'm Curtis Yates of Yates and Yates, I'm actually neither Yates nor Yates of Yates and Yates. That's Seely, my dad, and Matt, my brother. They were there first. They were partners before I came along. Sounds mean. 
feels like. <laughs> I would just claim it. <laughs> That's what everyone says. Right. Yeah, no, just kidding. So, yeah, uh, my dad, Seely, uh, we're all attorneys, the three of us, and um, he uh, was the first agent in the Christian publishing space starting back in the late 80s. Literary after, agent. After books. having, yeah, after having been an attorney in that space for over 15 years. And uh, after... 15 years of serving as the general counsel of the trade association and doing legal work for the different Christian publishing companies that led to certain authors saying, uh, before I sign this contract, I feel like I'd have a lawyer look at it. And the publisher go, Oh, call Seeley. Uh, He's the only lawyer anybody knew. Yeah. And, uh, so he was doing legal work for people like Max Lucado and Chuck Swindoll and Gary Trent and John Smalley, like some of the biggest authors yeah. at the time as their lawyer charging them by the hour. And through a certain circumstance or a set of circumstances in the late 80s, he came to a, uh, a point where he realized, maybe I need to think about shifting my role. Hmm. Uh, and it wasn't, he didn't uh, do it voluntarily. He was kind of forced into it. He had, ultimately, what it was, the first thing was he had a client who couldn't afford to pay his hourly rate. Hmm. And he really wanted to help this guy. He was a poor staff writer at Insight for Living, or was it Focus on the Family, one of those. And... Uh, the guy was like, I really want you to help me. And Celia was like, I read your stuff. It's awesome. But the guy was like, I can't afford your hourly rate. So would you take a commission instead? Wow. And that's what all the agents in New York do. Mm-hmm. And so Celia was like, yep, great. Let's let's give it a try. And uh, Were there agents in, in uh, sort of outside of Christian yes. publishing? Yeah, so there, there were already there okay. were agents yeah. in the New York book publishing okay, world that's what you mean. at okay. that point. Got so, it. But he, there were none in Christian publishing, and uh, all the most of the authors were pastors, and publishers would scout them out and find them and approach them and say, hey, we'd like to talk to you about maybe publishing a book by you. And, oh, yeah, wow, yeah. you would want to put something for me in a book? <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, nobody was being paid royalty advances at the time, and so Seeley shifted roles and, and hung out a new shingle and started a separate business on the side of his law practice and became the first agent and uh, became immediately persona non grata with all the publishers right. uh, who were like, uh, this doesn't sound like a good idea to us. And, right. uh, and the authors that he knew were like, this sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's, it was the beginning of a major sort of day of reckoning and publishing and Christian publishing huh. where the field was just starting to become a level playing field. Now for you, and we'll get to you, Karen, in a moment, but you grew up in this family where your dad was kind of on the cutting edge of this. Um, and I know you were thinking politics at one point and even interned in Washington, D.C. Where did the shift come where you really felt like God was calling you, maybe not to Yates and Yates, but even specifically to law? Yeah. I went to law school initially because I loved to argue and I loved to win. <laughs> oh, don't, no. don't laugh at that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, so, yeah, so you're using your gifts. He's an ad- <laughs> exactly. Well, that was about as well as I knew myself at the time. That's good. And yeah. uh, there were no Enneagrams back then, or at least I, mean, I guess it existed. Nobody had heard of it yet. Right. Um, anyway, and so I started heading down that path, and I thought I wanted to go into politics, and then God was very gracious to me and showed me early on, like, no offense to Jackson Reese, who I heard on here the other day. Yeah. Like, I thought it was, uh, I, I, I left that experience very jaded. Hmm. And uh, the opposite of him, he was like, oh, I came away so optimistic. I was like, wow, this God must be in this thing. Yeah, yeah, left exactly. DC optimistic. <laughs> that's awesome. Good yes, for you. We Please, great, we great, need you there. He's giving us all some hope. So. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Anyway, and then I thought I wanted to go into litigation. I was like, well, if I love to argue and love to win, I want to be in the courtroom. Yep. And uh, I got to law school, and they teach you pretty early on that 95 to 98% of all lawsuits are settled before trial. <laughs> and I interned for three different litigation firms and found out you spend all your time preparing for trials that never happen. Hmm. And I was like, this feels like a lifetime of frustration if I go down this path. Hmm. And out of the blue, I've got two job offers for after graduation from firms I've worked for, and I have no desire to go work there. And out of the blue, my dad and my brother called and said, we want you to come work with us. And I was like, what? Hmm. And that had never once been a thought in my mind up to that point. And uh, in fact, I had seen the movie Jerry Maguire and had zero (laughs) desire to be any kind of an agent ever. And my brother had been telling me, because he'd been there for years at this point, was telling me, yeah, these authors are so high maintenance. They all have big egos and you have to hold their hand and stroke their egos all the time. And I was like... (laughs) 
And so I had no desire to do it, but uh, they what what I had learned from one of my experiences was that the people that you work with every day make a huge difference in whether you enjoy your job or not. Man. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, man, I could go work with my dad, and my brother, and my best friend had just committed to go work there ahead of me. Hmm. And so I was like, I had to try this out or check this out. And, and negotiating's so, a bit of kind of the. Is it a bit of the arguing totally, thing that you like? Totally, I mean, it's yes, not, I'm sure it has right. to be a little more finessed, but. Totally. Yeah. 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 And what I learned about myself over time is that God made me to be an advocate for people. I mean, I could yeah. tell you stories for hours about people who, friends of mine who got in trouble in school that I would go basically serve as their lawyer. Yeah. And it, like, because I thrived on that and, and loved that kind of a thing. And, yeah. um, and you've helped us here at Calvary Church in some kind of. In times where there was a little bit of like arguing that needed to happen, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so we're grateful, you know? Yeah. He's leaving yeah. out a big piece of that oh. too, is oh, that in high you. school he did mock trial. Yeah. Okay. And oh. that was kind of the only time that he can remember in young school or high school where he was really excited about mm-hmm. what he was doing, where he's really engaged. He was up late studying. He was really into it. And that's kind of what made him realize he really liked a courtroom. He really liked to advocate and was good at it as well. Yeah, I got to be the lead prosecuting attorney in our week-long mock trial and civics class, and I literally stayed up till probably 2 a.m. every night preparing, and it did not feel like work at all. Mm-hmm. And up to awesome. that point, everything else in school, I did fine, but I didn't enjoy any of it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was like, oh, maybe there's something to this. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Now, Karen, for you, you also work at Yates and & Yates, yeah. and you're not going to say this, but I can say it. You're a phenomenal writer. Um, you've had pieces published in the Washington Post, among others, but... It wasn't always your dream, was it? Or when you were little and thinking about what you want to do with your life, what were some of your hopes and aspirations? I really wanted to be an astronaut, actually, when I was very little. Yes. Um, but then I found out you have to have great vision for that, and I don't, as I'm wearing <laughs> my glasses right now. Um, and then I thought I was going to actually went to Westmont as a psychology major. I was going to, I really liked people. I was very interested in people at one time. Um, I, I didn't care for my first psychology class, and so I moved over. I was also taking an English class at the time, and my English teacher pulled me aside and said, you're really good at this. Um, and I, it was a lit analysis class where you read these essays, and you had to really dissect them and look at them and the holistic picture of it. And um, so I took a second English class, and then I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll switch to English and be a teacher, because what, what do you do with an English major? Um, and little, you know, God knew, God knew I was going to marry into this family that worked in publishing and I was going to get to use some of my interests and skills to help these authors and grow their voice and support them in their calling. So that's, and that's how it kind of went. I did, I interned at a junior high, um, thinking I was going to be a teacher and I was very drained. I love, I love children, but not all day. Totally. God bless all the junior high teachers. <laughs> yeah, God bless yeah. all the teachers. For Everyone real. has a different calling, though. Right? Yeah, that's kind of what yeah. this is about. So I ended up moving to the writing track. I was an English major with a writing emphasis. Okay, so then, so you've got you've been growing up with this, and like growing up in even as a young adult with this kind of like emphasis in writing, and then in the meantime, Curtis is, is starting to do this whole thing of actually of being an agent because you're doing this for a while before then Karen enters the yeah. the scene mm-hmm. right of, of Yates and Yates, and so like how is it for you at least? Uh, Curtis of kind of establishing yourself in this place, especially kind of going into where it's your, your dad and, you know, was it, how, how was that to kind of establish your own presence there? The first rule was never call him my dad. Yeah. He's Seely. Yep. And, uh, I I hear, I've heard you do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I I feel like I've gotten pretty good about where I refer to him as Seely and where I call him my dad, but yeah. sometimes you just fall into patterns and habits. And of course I'm calling him Seely a whole lot more than I'm calling him dad. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it was, um, it, it took some effort and, uh, and frankly, some humility for a while of realizing like he's the legend in this industry right. and I need to sit at his feet and learn. And yeah. I mean, I came, I went there, I, 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 uh, clerked or interned there in my last year of law school. Okay and made my decision to go to work there full time based on that experience. And that experience was almost pure traditional legal work. Okay. Because at the time that was more than half of our business. And then I showed up after I passed the bar exam and uh, there was like lots of need and opportunity on the author side. Hmm. And all of a sudden I find myself on the road with my dad going on trips to meet with authors and publishers and sitting in meetings and discovering, Oh my goodness, I actually love ideas and books and, 
mean, you don't do a whole lot of free reading when you're in law school. And uh, <laughs> so I hadn't done a whole lot of book reading and or especially Christian book reading during those years. And I was like, man, some of these people might have big egos, but a lot of them are really incredible Christian leaders and teachers and really wise people. And we get to like come alongside them and advocate for them and pour ourselves out, helping them make the most of what God's mm. entrusted to them and discovered very quickly, like, wow, I think this is what I was made for. Wow. And wow, I can't believe I get to do this. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, early years, it was, I, I really didn't think of it as much a, as trying to make a name for myself or find my place as much as it was just be a sponge yeah, and learn. see how fast I can, you know, learn all this stuff. And yeah. it's a, it's a, um, I have a friend who uh, talks about the idea that like, you can go into any new industry, and if you can just learn all the nomenclature, you're like 80% of the way there. Yeah. That was his, his, his term was nomenclature. But, yeah, every industry has their own language, and if you, know, you have to learn how to speak the language. Yep. And so that was a big part of it. I don't know if I would say 80%, but it was a big yeah. part of it. So who's one of the first authors that you sort of had to try and help, or were hmm. you just learning? I mean, I'm sure at first yeah, you're I mean, kind of going along watching your dad do it or your brother. Yeah, I mean, right? I was basically an apprentice, if you will. I mean, yep. I, I would go to the meetings with them, and I would be on the calls with them, and then I would follow up on all the details. And, and um, yeah, I mean, some of the people in those early days were like Larry Crabb yep. and uh, John Eldridge, for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, there was actually a guy who was the pastor at Irvine Presbyterian, who was a client of ours named uh, Mark, Mark Roberts. Roberts. Thank yep. you. And uh, and I had actually attended there when I was in high school because my uh. girlfriend's dad was the music pastor for Mark Roberts, so that was kind of weird. Like, yeah. here's this guy that I used to you know sit in the pews and listen to him preach as a high schooler, and now I'm advising him. Right. And right. Uh, and that, those kinds of situations happened a number of times. I mean, the, some of the my dad is legendary in this industry for being like everybody's friend. I mean, he can walk into almost any publishing house and he's giving bear hugs to everybody down, up and down the hall. I'm sure you have no, uh, you know, yes. no hard time believing this. Yes. I've experienced uh, those and his enthusiasm right, is right. contagious for sure. Right? Totally. So yeah. some of these people have become like his best friends hmm. over the decades. And these people would stay in our house when they were in town, like literally across the hall from me hmm. in my brother's old bedroom. <laughs> and like we, I was sharing a bathroom with these guys and now I'm trying to negotiate across the table from these guys. So that was a very like eye-opening and humbling and weird experience. Like uh, I'm, I'm trying to play hardball with this guy that I used to say, okay, I'm out of the shower. You can take over. Right. Right. Cause it was more of those people in the publishing houses that your dad was working with when you were young, young. Right. And then he kind of changed, changed sides. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So then you're, you're doing that for a while. And I know that kind of goes on for some time. And then, so you have this wonderful, intelligent writer wife who is like, I'm just trying to kind of, so yeah. how does it come about though, that it's like, well, maybe we should also bring Karen on this team, you know? Yeah, well, I'd say that <laughs> to start on that, I'll let you chime in in a minute, yeah. but to start on that, what was weird was one of the first projects uh, that I worked on very early on was a 35th anniversary edition of the book, God Smuggler by Brother Andrew. Mm-hmm. And Seeley's got a 30 year history with the Ministry of Open Doors and was their chairman for a long, long time, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But Karen had just gone to work at Open Doors after having worked for Insight for Living for Chuck Swindoll until they relocated to Dallas. And so she was like one of the key players on the team at Open Doors that's overseeing this project. And she and I are in meetings together. Yeah, it was weird. Sitting across the table from each other. (laughs) That's so weird. I love that. I'm I'm like on their team advising them, but I'm also not on their team, like Mm in-house. And the publisher is sitting there at the table. And and yeah, we're like kicking each other under the table. (laughs) And... <laughs> anyway, so I mean, our I mean that was two thousand one. I think we got married in two thousand. I mean, this is like our first year of marriage. We're yeah. in, having this kind of an experience, and so I got a chance real early on to see like how capable she is. I mean, she had already worked for me in college, and yeah, so I knew, I knew that. <laughs> but then, like, we're learning the publishing industry together in some ways, and uh, and then we worked on another open doors project together a few years later, and then another one, and. Yeah, after a while, you know, I would come home and talk shop, and I would start asking her opinion and advice. I mean, women are the dominant portion of the market in the Christian book buying world, ah. and uh, and so she has, for the last 15 years, been kind of in that bullseye of the target reader, the target market. So I'm mm-hmm. coming home and asking, hey, what do you think of these covers? What do you think of these titles? What do you think of this 
manuscript and making her read whole manuscripts or what do you can you give me she was in marketing in, in the ministry world so can you give me some insight or input on marketing and so I mean basically she was working for free yeah for yeah. a lot of years and uh, she was as I finally referred to her as our she was our secret weapon in the shadows like nope. yeah I would try to give as much credit to her as I could, but um, I was just reading a bio of me, an old bio from somewhere that talked about like Karen was the um, the source of all my best ideas. Nice, yeah. <laughs> and my was in quotes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are you like what do you? So all throughout that time, were you thinking, wow, actually this is pretty cool? Like what I'm pretty good at. We it. get to do together, even if it's not your job yet. You know? Yeah, I mean, I I had worked in the nonprofit sector right. for in in marketing. And um, I enjoyed it. I was good at it. I'm, I'm, I was good at ideating mm-hmm. and uh, managing things like direct mail streams and websites and uh, e-marketing um, and product development. And so I was doing all that. And then I actually spent, I, I was doing that for Open Doors and we had Zach. Mm-hmm. And I did some of it on Retainer. And while I was on Retainer, I also started working with John Norton and helping him out with oh, yeah, communications. Right. And so... Um, yeah, but in the meantime, he's bringing home really cool manuscripts and things and asking me to take a look and read. And is it good? What do you think? How should mm-hmm. we change it? Um, titling ideas, all kinds of things. And I'm getting to also meet all the people he's working with, which was very fun. And so uh, the big thing was, how's it going to be if we formalize this? Right, right, Like right. how? Because <laughs> he's going to be my boss. Right. And he's partners with my brother-in-law and my father-in-law. And at the time, also, my mother-in-law was working there. And so just... And we might I, fight sometimes at home, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think you're just a little worried about... The lines? <laughs> like, on the one hand, it seemed like a really natural fit. Like, maybe this is what God was up to all along. But then also just worried about too much overlap, you know, mm-hmm. having good boundaries. Also, what would that do to our, our marriage, our relationship when you start now working together as well and... I mean, he gives me my annual reviews, which is like super crazy, right? Um, I'll be teaching a course on that uh, yeah. coming up in the fall. Yeah, I, I, always I had make, it difficult. Yeah, yeah, I always make a really good dinner the night before an annual review. <laughs> no, but let's let's kind of dig into that for a minute because um, there are couples in our church that do either work together or yeah. maybe they both work at home but side by side. What are some things you've learned? Like, give us some advice on how do you work in the same environment? Have a good marriage. Give us your wisdom. <laughs> you He's first? looking at me. Um, well, so Curtis and I have always worked together. I don't think it's for everyone. I really don't. But we right. worked. We knew we worked together well in college. That's true. That's like how we started off. But it did take. We have different styles. Um, so it, it took a while. But I sort of knew his style because we had worked together, and he sort of knew mine. So the biggest thing is trying to keep it's sort of separate. Um, and there are times when I'll say, I'm not coming to you as a boss. I'm just talking to you right now as your wife. Yeah. You know, that's good. Or he'll, he'll say the same thing. And like, I had sort of a meltdown a while, a while back where I was super overwhelmed. I don't know why. (laughs) And then why am I doing this? I don't know if I can, you know, trying to juggle all the hats. And that was, I needed him as husband then not, taking me seriously as right. employer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we work really well together. I think that if there was a lot of tension, and by the time, by the time it was official, I had already been doing it. Yeah. I had already waded in so slowly. It's like, I'm already in this pool. Right. Let's just make this official. And, um, actually I appreciated making it official cause I sort of felt a part of things, but yeah. not officially, not, I didn't, I felt I didn't know my place formally. It meant a lot to get a business card yeah. and to get a salary and to be on the website and to acknowledge like I'm a part of this team. And, and then if a- you're talking to an author or something, you're you're like part of it, right? Instead of like, oh, this is Curtis's wife. You know, it's yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no, this is part of the team. Yeah. And we and we work really differently. Like now we're both working with different authors. Sometimes we overlap. Sometimes we're on the same author. Sometimes we're on different ones, but our styles are different. Yeah. And so learning to feel like I could stand alone yeah, um, as well. Like even in meetings when we're with publishers, I some, I don't sit next to him. I will sit in a different. Right. Sit, so that makes sense. Yeah. I would understand that. So guys, just like, what's the process of sort of an idea becoming a book in, in your world? Like I know sometimes it starts with an author 
you know, that maybe is like a already a known, you know, person or it's an idea. Like I've heard you guys talk about like finding the ideas yourselves or finding these people that maybe even aren't a writer, but just have a story. And, you know, I, there's probably like lots of different ways that an idea becomes a book. But what, what are some of those ways that you guys see that happening? Well, um, I really look to see the voices that are being elevated. Mm -hmm. Like I, I believe that God starts to bring to the surface, bubble up certain voices and others. He never bubbles them up. So I, I, I look for, I look for, are they a good writer? Are they a good communicator? There's people who are good communicators who aren't good writers, but you can get, you can get help in the writing process, but are they good ideators? Are they forward thinkers? Are they pushing? Is there an audience that's responding to what they're teaching and what they're saying and is what is the culture looking at right now as well and what do they need to hear yeah um so that is a little bit of it um but if you know it's very publishing these days it's it's so much it's very different it's very hard to get a book published yeah i'm sure um and so it's not something where you're getting approached and you let me publish your book that used to happen that doesn't happen anymore now you have to go through a vetting process you have to write a book proposal get an agent an agent kind of gets you through the door with publishers and right that's like for that aspiring writer you're talking about you mean yeah but sometimes it's not necessarily an aspiring writer like it's just it's just uh well here's a story that we've seen or a person doing something cool but because i feel like i've seen you guys take the initiative versus the writer coming to you and being will you please represent me right Mm -hmm. it's yeah is it more often you taking the initiative to approach people or how does that work I think yeah. people are just kind of intrigued by this world. You well, know? most of our authors we find through referrals from, okay. from other authors that we've been working with. But there was a time, for example, Katie Davis Majors, right. she wrote the book Kisses from Katie. It was on the New York Times list for 33 consecutive weeks, um, I believe. Is that right? You're looking at me. Sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go um, I read yeah. her entire blog. I, I read it all in one night. And I immediately copied the link and I sent it to Curtis and I said, we need to get a meeting with her. Yeah. And this is going to be a blow up book. Yeah. Um, so she was someone we pursued. Right. It's I remember really- actually, sorry to just interrupt because I remember Curtis like talking to you outside of Calvary one time and you're like, man, there's, I think I, sometimes I ask like, what, what, what's bubbling up right now, you know? Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, there's this, there's this woman, Katie, doing this incredible stuff in Africa. Yeah. And it was just like, I think it's got a, I think it's a book, you know? And I was like, yeah. and it was a book. It was massive. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I just think, you know. That was one of the one times, I mean, there's been a couple times in our experience where we've thought this, from the get-go, like, this is going to be mm-hmm. a, a massive movement. Mm-hmm. I think we thought that with Radical as well, with David Platt's book, yeah. Radical, Seely knew that straight away. And John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, Seely knew that as well. So, um we should give a shout out to Calvary missionary Susan Clark. Yes, because she's the one who introduced sent, me to sent Katie Karen Davis. Link oh. to Katie Davis's blog. Oh, that's so great. That's yeah. really wow. So yeah. sometimes you can find them. Sometimes, you know, it, it floats by us and we yeah. see it. Hmm. Other times people refer it and say, listen to this person, listen to their message. And Right. So this is probably a better time than any just oh. to, um, you know, Eric and I have have an idea for a book. Yeah, I've got an idea. And um, <laughs> can I share my? I've got, I've got an idea. Just pitch it <laughs> yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah. Oh my um, gosh! So you get if you're if you're riding your bike right now or walking, doing the dishes, stop. You're about to hear something. Yeah, really yeah. Amazing. So here's here's Matt and I want to do this together. We've been kind of the whole reason we asked you to do this no. podcast. It's about the end times, and there's supposed to be these giant locusts. And I think that we'll be able to ride these giant locusts in sort of a Star Wars pod racer kind of thing during the end times. Maybe more like Dune? Yeah. Well, it could be a little like Dune. I think it is actually like a half fiction, half (laughs) nonfiction. And so you're kind of going back and forth. I mean, it's groundbreaking stuff. You know, I think nobody's doing something like that. Bigger than Purpose Driven Life is what I think. Uh, (laughs) Calvary family, I wish you could see the Yates' faces right now. (laughs) I mean... Are we good? I mean, no, should but, we just well, push for, stop? Fortunately or unfortunately, we don't represent any fiction. So the fact that you're just half fiction disqualifies. <laughs> just, half, half, just half, just half represent a third, <laughs> maybe like twenty pages. But no, but this brings up. No, I know no, you no, have no, people approach you a lot, saying, "Hey, I got an idea for a book." And if, if you don't follow um, Karen on uh, social media, you should because she posts some great things on. Hey, here's what to consider before you even think about writing a book. But give us like top three. <laughs> If I wanted to write a book today, what do I need to be thinking about before I even come talk to you? Karen is perfect at this. She's got this down <laughs> cold. 
She, she's got, yeah. Just give she me your just, quick she just, answer. She just gave somebody an answer about this on Facebook Messenger this week, and I was like, I'm cutting and pasting that and yes. saving it because this is said so well and so concisely. It's, oh, gosh. it's brilliant. Now I'm going to have to right. remember. No pressure. You might want to pull out your phone and find it. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> What's the advice to the that person that wants to write? You know? Yeah, I, I mean. All, every, everybody has a book in their mind. Yeah. The writing process is really... In our experience, really, that's true. Probably about nine out of ten people we I'm come sure. in contact with have a book idea. I'm sure. Yeah, the publishing process is really hard. It's not just about writing a book. It's about helping sell your book. These days, they look to the author not just to write a good book, but they also expect you to help sell your book. And that's because of the way the face of retail has really changed. That's true. Uh, with social media and direct marketing, direct to your consumer. And so... Um, you really have to these days, you have to have some sort of an established audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that audience can be your podcast audience. That audience can be your, you know, social media audience. Mm-hmm. That can be a large church where you pastor. But you have to have some way where you are already disseminating your content. Yeah. And you can prove that people are receiving and responding to your content. You can't just say, this happens all the time. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Like, people have to hear my book idea. I just, I had, you know, God has told me to write this book and you have to hear it. And it's like, yeah, you can go write it. Absolutely. If God is telling you to write it, go write it. But that doesn't mean people are going to buy it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they have to buy it. Or it needs so, to be published like or formally, that right? Published yeah. formally. Or self-published. And so, yeah. And so you have to really be able to make a case to a publisher that there that what you have done it has a proven and engaged audience mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest i mean and you don't have to wait until you have a book to get that you can go out you can start speaking to mops groups you can start speaking at churches you could start your own podcast from your living room you mm-hmm. can do whatever you want to do to start disseminating your content testing it seeing how people respond you know, proving your authority and your credibility in that area and then you can start looking to getting a book contract but and the other thing I would say is if you're serious about writing, you really should be serious about reading. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really it's like someone saying, I want to play in the Olympics. I want to play, you know, basketball in the Olympics. But <laughs> yeah. then they're never yeah. out on the court. Right. Really. So you need to join a writer's group. You need to go to a writer's conference. You need to be like sitting down two hours in a chair a day and, and writing, writing. Yeah. and practicing yeah. your craft. And yeah. so, you know, there's kind of a thought of how cool it would be to have a book on a shelf. And of course, I mean, that would be amazing, but you have to put in the work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy. And I, I get a little irritated when certain authors say, oh, I just got a book contract. And they make it sound like it was this really simple thing that doesn't, that's not how it usually goes. And a lot of people are, they're doing something incredible already. And that's why they sort of quote unquote, just got a book contract because they, right. all of that platform right. and everything was there just from what they were doing. Yeah. And now you like help t- like take this story broader, right? Yeah. And so that makes sense. But but writers, I remember even hearing Curtis. I was talking like I feel like ten years ago or something, and you just said like writers write. Like you just people need to just be writing. Like are, you know, or mm-hmm. if somebody thinks they're a writer, are they writing? And that's why things like blogging or whatever yeah. are, are kind of cool. Get a website. You know? Get a WordPress. Yeah. 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 You don't yeah. become good at it just overnight or just because mm-hmm. you think you want to be or whatever like mm-hmm. yeah it takes practices like anything else yeah mm-hmm. makes yeah, sense absolutely no i think i think that's really helpful to even for all of us yeah. to kind of hear that reality well, it's, it's hard sometimes to tell people like you're not going to get noticed by a publisher until you have a big following already yeah because that seems so unattainable to most people yeah right and yeah. frankly it kind of is but it's their way of mitigating their risk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a publisher last week who was saying, you know, you know what I do is basically just gambling. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, yeah. they're they're rolling the dice constantly on projects based on their best guess. Yeah. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're woefully wrong. Hmm. And it costs their company a lot of money. Yeah. Sometimes if they made the wrong bet. And uh, so part of the way they mitigate their risk is we need to already you need to already have an audience that we know we can count on at least a minimum level of sales. Because right. the, the, the way book promotion goes is a publisher is going to market your book for a short season, and then they're just going to completely take their foot off the gas and hope that that momentum will carry forward. Okay. Basically, what you're trying to get to is where word of mouth takes over, hmm. where a conversation has begun and enough people have read it and start talking to each other about it that it carries forward. And it's a very rare uh, book where a publisher is actively promoting and paying for marketing after more than 90 days after the book yeah. comes out. How do you can I, like how do you think people should balance? I mean this isn't like a, <laughs> a writers podcast necessarily, yeah. but at the same time there's this sort of this level of 
where you, they need to have to have this like established audience. But then there's also this sort of grossness about establishing oh, yeah. an audience, mm-hmm. totally. right? And especially with a lot of these people who are like pastors or within this Christian world. If they're all they, I've just, I've encountered a lot of people that seems like all they care about is building their platform and not like ministering to people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And so there's like a grossness to that to me. Like, so do you guys have even ways that you try to kind of help with that or like... We're oh, not probably we're, spot we're, that. For those who can't see, we're nodding vigorously yes, right yes. now as Eric is talking about the grossness of this. I think Karen's got a I mean, uh, uh, we have a filter that we, when someone, you know, is referred to us or when the, we get someone's proposal sent to us, we have a filter. And and um, some of those questions are asking just that. Yeah. And we have a, a lengthy vetting process. Hmm. Um, we, we don't just reach out and say, we want to sign you. Yeah. You know, we have multiple conversations and, and it's really is frustrating because there are other agents out there mm-hmm. who do just approach a speaker at a conference and say, you know, I want to sign you right now. Right. And they don't know what the book is. They don't know the content is. They've not not really established. You know, we I, you know, if I get a proposal, I'm looking at their social media stuff. I'm asking around. I'm finding out what what's this person like. Um, and a huge criterion for me is does is this person plugged in locally? Mm. Because if yeah. they're if they're just a national speaker and they travel around and they're speaking and they're not they're not really connected to their place they're not really connected to their people I do feel like it affects the quality of the content that comes out mm-hmm. because it's not an overflow of life on mission right it ends up being like preaching how you should live your life on mission yep. and you can kind of feel that as a reader you can feel the difference it yep. feels a little slick and um, inauthentic and so a criterion I have is like how much are they living out there their relationship with Christ and their calling on their life in their local place. Hmm. Hmm. That, that's a huge tension that authors live with on a daily basis because um, in 2008, when the recession happened, yeah. there was a huge day of reckoning in the publishing industry where there were massive financial impacts instantly. Hmm. Layoffs, hiring freezes, salary freezes, marketing budgets being slashed or zeroed out, advances were reduced. There was almost any financial lever they had to pull, they were ratcheting back. Mm-hmm. And so marketing was a huge part of that. And it just so happened to coincide with the rise of social media. Like that's right about the same totally. time that social media came on the scene in a big way. And so it was this very convenient way for them to sort of offload <laughs> most of the marketing onto yeah. the author and say, guess what? We're counting on you now. Yep. And so it's it's part and parcel of what it means to be a writer now. You don't just write the books. You actually have to promote the books. It used to be, as an author, you could have the mindset of, I write the books, and publisher, your job is to market and sell the books. Mm-hmm. Can't get away with that anymore. And so it's hard when you get into this because you have ideas and you love to write, mm-hmm. and then you realize, oh, I have to like learn how to run a whole business mm-hmm. now. Yep. The business of being an author is not just writing books. That makes sense. And so the tension is, like, I need a following, Right. But what's the motivation for how I'm going about building up yeah. a following? So mm-hmm. you just said it a second ago, Eric, like, are they doing this to minister to people? Because the truth is, like, there are incredible tools now that allow people to minister from their couch <laughs> to thousands or millions of people, yeah. right, all f- at one time. And there are some people that you can tell that that is their heart and that's their motivation. There's other people you can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they they have very much a mindset of I'm trying to build my own kingdom here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a I I don't envy that role at all. Like I'm I'm on this in this role in this part of the business, and I I could I, I would never want to be an author. I'm not a writer, um, right? But I think that's a a really difficult tension to live with, and it to stay in a healthy place on. Yeah, because it's really difficult to become internet famous or Christian famous yeah. or whatever. And then to stay humble and yeah. to, to continue to have the, a pure heart right. in terms of how you approach it. And we're our great, sorry, just because like also like we're our great classic writers that have written these like amazing works. You know, could they, <laughs> it's like if these, if GK Chesterton couldn't, you know, do social media well, would we not know who he is? Right. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> right. like right. Not the of, 21st century. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So there's just something to that too, right? Are the greatest writers, speakers and... Mm-hmm. You know, and also like promoters. Mm-hmm. But yeah. hey, let me flip the conversation a little bit because not only do you help the writers, but you also read a lot. You read a lot of manuscripts, you read a lot of outside books. And I know a lot of us, every New Year's Eve, or one of our, you know, great resolutions, I'm gonna read more, I'm gonna read yeah. twelve books, you know, this year. How do you, from your perspectives, you read a lot, 
give us some wisdom on how to be better readers as followers of Jesus. Hmm, that's cool. That's a good question. <laughs> and you didn't know I was going to ask this, so you yeah. may want to think for a moment. But Put your phone down. <laughs> I mean, how much... I mean, you think about it, mm-hmm. and I talk about this a lot with people, and including my clients. I'm, the amount of content that we take in on a daily basis now is mind-boggling. I mean, we probably take in more in the course of a day, an average day, just content, media, than people like probably 30 years ago would take in the course of a month. Yeah. If not more, right? Yeah. Longer. And so, I mean, there's so much distraction in blogs. And of course, people don't read blogs very much anymore, but Twitter especially is yeah. a huge thing for people and the news. And I mean, there's just so many things, a daily just avalanche of new content that you can consume. Mm-hmm. And it's also so much of it is bite sized and we train our minds to just kind of skim and to hopscotch around. And we, we're literally like rewiring our brains to not be able to hold a sustained line of thinking for more than a couple of seconds. And so one of the ways you can combat against that is long form reading. Yeah. And uh, so find a good book. If you need a suggestion, I've got lots of them. <laughs> and put it on your nightstand. You start and a blog. Turn your phone <laughs> off at nine o'clock at night and go pick up that book and sit yeah. down and read. And reading is like any muscle. I mean, you, people say, oh, I haven't read a book in years. Well, y- you start using it and you actually like re-enter into using that muscle. But if, if you've gone dormant on it, it's hard to start back up. It really is. And so you have yeah. to make kind of a commitment to do it. I think also choosing the right books. Mm-hmm. Um, you you know, there are so many options that are out there learning. There's a, a need for, um, what's it called? Like a an aggregate or a funnel. Curator. Curators mm-hmm. out there right now um, that you can trust that refer certain books. And you go, oh, I usually like the books that they say to read or I'm going to read. And, and that is essentially what some of the promotion is doing on social media is people are are helping curate good content and share about good content but and talk yeah, to, I, I mean, see you even talking books? to your friends too though like hey what's good guys yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Yeah. you bring it up what are you reading what should yeah. I be reading um, audiobooks yeah. are a thing I do a lot I do Curtis actually introduced me to audiobooks um, I was never into that but I read regular books and then I'm also in the car a fair amount in the afternoons where I'm picking up a kid and dropping off our practice and picking up another kid and having an audiobook that's kind of always playing where I can also be Receiving it's it's different. It's a different way, but it's working on your listening skills and you're mm-hmm. engrossed in a story and still learning and growing your mind. But we have to choose to um, not just like we have to choose not to snack on cheap things out of our pantry. Hmm. We have to choose to eat good food with what we're reading. That's so good. That's really good. Yeah. Why'd you look at me though when you said snacks in the pantry? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> nah, but it's true about the phone thing because it's like I know that. I still am a pretty good reader. I read a fair amount, but I know I read less than I used to. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just know before it really in the last several years became such a prominent and I even know I'll be sitting down reading and then you just get the, you know, the yeah, yeah. and you feel that dopamine hit just coming and you want to take it. Yeah. 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 But <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's another part of yeah. it too, is not, don't just put the phone down, but put the phone away. Yeah. Like in order to be able to stay focused. You for could have a night of the week that you turn off mm-hmm. all, all, um, uh, devices, devices. Yeah. Yeah. and it's just like Tuesday nights hey family Tuesday nights reading nights we can play a board game no devices right. tonight well, no I, TV I love what you're saying too though a muscle because I think some of us think oh I'm just not a reader anymore yeah. that was when I was in college right. or but even that we can develop better mm-hmm. sense of focus on our reading yeah. it's huge mm-hmm. and, and this is a gift that here in America we have access to so many things we can grow our minds as far as we want to grow them Yeah, and it's amazing that we kind of are apathetic towards doing that you can have any book in the world in your hands in 48 hours. That's oh. true. <laughs> it's true. And usually less even if you want. You know, it's amazing. Um, that's cool. So, here, oh, man, this is tough because I feel like we've been talking for a while. I, but it's like we're not the Joe Rogan podcast. You know, we can't go for three hours or whatever. But um, as much as I might want to right now. But maybe we'll have to have you guys back because I think I just I love being able to talk about this world. And it's just very intriguing. I think maybe if I could just let's like have one more question of just like uh, – when you go to a lot of these conferences, because you guys have to, you go to conferences where you have, because authors are speakers and that kind of thing as well, right? And maybe even some of these publishing conferences and what you're seeing out there, like, 
I don't know, is there kind of any like message of like hope for the future, you know, or what, what does it feel like is kind of like the, the future, like within just Christendom in general and kind of what's coming ahead for us? Is that a big question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's a question that's right up Karen's alley. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, there are three, three main ways that we shape culture. It's mm-hmm. movies, music, and books. Mm-hmm. And the good news is, I know there's a lot of conversation out there about Christian bookstores closing and Lifeway uh, mm-hmm. stores are closing. Family Christian bookstores closed a while back. And, um, but the, the great news is that people are still buying and reading books. Mm, yeah. They're just now not buying them. The, the changing face of retail, it just looks a little different. But you can go right down to the Hobby Lobby right here around the corner. There's Christian books and Hobby Lobby now. You could go to the corner bookstore um, here at Calvary Church of Santa Ana. You can go to the corner bookstore <laughs> at Calvary Harris. Church. There you go. Um, I mean, there are Christian books are still being yeah. bought and sold. <laughs> and it's it's um, another... It, in Culture is still responding to... There was, a, there was a time when people were saying, no one's going to read anymore because of the Twitter and... Yeah. You know, the 140 characters. And it is true that they've done some things like they've changed the way books look and margin spaces and they're trying to set up. So it's a little visually um, easier for some people. But mm-hmm. people still read and buy books. Yeah. Right? By some people, you mean like Matt Down? Like Matt Down. Um, so I think that that would be the hopeful news. I think people are still looking to Christian books. And I would also say with the closing of some of these retail spaces has made an opportunity where Christian books are now in Target. Christian mm. books are now in Costco. Christian That's books are now in Walmart. And so while it is hard that we can't walk into a Christian bookstore maybe the way that we used to, it's not such a very bad thing that we see Christian books at Target and, you know, people are picking them up. And so there is um, there is opportunity there as well. Um, and messages are still being um, publishers. Many Christian publishers are still on the rise and doing yeah. really well. Oh, so good. Cool. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm excited about the future because of your influence on it. (laughs) Seriously, though, I love just the fact that you as part of our family here at Calvary just have this influence in kind of just helping shape some of what is like shaping our minds even out there. It's just like pretty big responsibility, right? Like at some level. So I think it's important to take that um, very seriously. And I know you do. And we appreciate just how much uh, you both really pour into Calvary Church and the community yeah. here um, as well, even though you have these worlds that kind of take you all over the place outside of Calvary as well. So thanks so much for being here on the Calvary Life Podcast. Locust Revelation. Think about it. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a hit. <laughs> thanks, guys. We'll bring it up to, with the team tomorrow morning. See how it, yeah, yeah. See how it plays. <laughs> I, I, maybe you could start a whole kind of sci-fi, Christian sci-fi. Oh I could actually lead this for you, you guys. Christian sci-fi division of Yates, 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 and Yates, and Yates. Okay? Deal? Awesome. <laughs> all right. See you next time. Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Life Podcast. If you enjoyed our show this week, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you want to learn more about Calvary Church or share any of your thoughts, check us out on our website at calvarylife.org or find us on one of our social media accounts. We're on Instagram at Calvary underscore church, Facebook at Calvary Church of Santa Ana, and Twitter at Calvary Life.